You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? So, Richard, a strange thing uh, seemed to happen this past week uh, all over the social medias and stuff. Like, people were just, like, picking four four video games or four movies, uh, either define their taste or uh, define, you know, their their habits in playing video games and, and movies. And I saw you picked four video games. What would you pick? Oh, God. Um, I don't even remember now. Um, I know Fallout was in there. Um <laughs> Yeah, I honestly I don't even remember what I picked. That's how good my that's how good my memory is. Uh-huh. But I I don't even remember. Um, I know Fallout was in there, um, which of course that just holds a very uh, near and dear place in my heart. Metal Gear Solid, the um, the one that came out originally on the uh, first PlayStation, was another one that was on there. Um, gosh, what else did I pick? See, and I think I think. I think I'm doing that wrong too. Cause I just saw people posting games and I posted games that I thought had like a kind of a, um, you know, like a big impact on me. And I, and I think it's, I, I don't know we were kind of talking about this a little bit before we started that we don't know where this whole, like, you know, film struck game struck thing came from. True. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I had fallout, the, the very original fallout, which, uh, came out, I think in like 98, 97, 98, somewhere in there at metal gear solid, uh, final fantasy eight and, uh, halo. That was, that was the four that I, that I had. Ah, okay. I don't think, I don't think I went and like, uh, posted anywhere, anything like that. But if, uh, I guess if I would have to pick four games, it'd probably be final fantasy two, uh, or the American final fantasy two. I don't, I think that's what three over in uh japan or something like that Probably. Uh, yeah something like that um then uh i would then probably pick uh chrono trigger oh interesting choice arkham asylum so the first arkham game sure the very first batman arkham game yeah and i don't know oh portal definitely portal Really? I thought you were going to have that uh, horror game that you were like... I love that game, but it's just the fact that they're, they're, it's not that long. There's, there's nothing, you know, there's not much to it. I mean, the fact that they have, it has three different endings is kind of cool, but I think the only difference in the endings is the colors. Because you, what was it? Eternal Darkness? Eternal Darkness, uh, Requiem's Sanity. That's or Sanity's a, Requiem. A hell of a place to be coming from. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I'm just not also just not the, the, the person that does all that much video gaming, not as much as you guys do. So, uh, I don't know it, it, that would, I guess that one's a little bit more difficult for me, but if, yeah, if we're talking about movies, I think I have a better, um, grasp of the type of movies that I enjoy or, you mm. know, made an impact on me. So I, I would I, I would like to hear what you would have for 
four movies that have made impacts on you or defined your movie taste uh, kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I still haven't posted this up on Twitter, which I probably should do at some point, but now there's no reason to, because you can listen to me and Mitch talk about our films and that's way cooler than just seeing four little photographs. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, uh, this is probably super cliche and, uh, the timing for me, of course, with this is, is heavy hearted and in some, some regards I should say, but, uh, the first movie that I picked was uh, Star Wars uh, Episode Four: A New Hope, of course, because that's the first Star Wars movie that I ever saw. Way, 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 way back when I was just a little, a little Richard, a young <laughs> I child. Mean, you would have had to have seen it on VHS then. Yes. For the first time, do you do you remember it was the first time, or was that did you go and see it when it got re released in the theaters? No, no. The very first time I, I ever watched it, it was uh, it was on VHS. It was a copy that uh, my parents owned, and uh, yeah, I remember you know being like, "Oh, what's this? What's this whole thing about?" And you know, boy, did that uh, did that escalate very very quickly. And uh, I, you know, I can tell you, I, I understand wholeheartedly uh, why this movie became genre defining and and this huge cultural phenomenon and it still remains uh kind of a cultural phenomenon like 40 something years later true i mean obviously the fandom i guess or the the ability there you know the, the the amount of people that love star wars has not died it's not gone anywhere it's only gotten bigger in the decades that it's been a thing so uh, it makes sense that that would be one of the first movies that would ever capture your uh, imagination and capture your or start your love for movies that I, yeah. I assume we both have was it anything in particular was it the characters was it the you know the special effects was it um the story you know i i i think it was a little bit of everything um obviously I was really, really young when I watched this, so I, I, I don't, you know, I can't give you a play-by-play. You know, it'd be different if if I was watching this for the first time as a child now, because I could just live tweet it and uh, have some sort of internet record of everything that that uh, happened to me in my life, which in some ways is kind of cool, right? Like, it would be interesting to to see what super young Richard would have written while he was live tweeting Star Wars for the first time, you know, I, I don't know exactly what I would have said, but yeah, I think, I think the visual effects had a lot to do with that. I think I, I to a certain degree feel like this was also probably my first really big experience with like science fiction and space and space exploration and like aliens and, you know, all of those things uh, inevitably ended up becoming very, very important. And, um, uh, very interesting to me. You know, I still have a huge affinity for aliens and extraterrestrial life and space. And, you know, that's why I think I've gotten so big into playing games like Elite Dangerous. And uh, I just recently picked up Star Citizen, which I, uh, it, it's in super early, 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 early uh, access that game. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, we don't even know if we're ever going to see it get a full launch because it's just super ambitious. But, like, that's one of the things that drives me to that game, too, is this, yeah, uh, you know, ability to live out this kind of 
fantasy of being kind of like, you know, a Star Wars character where, you know, you can fly around and explore different, you know, planets and galaxies and, you know, maybe encounter extraterrestrial life. Like, I don't know. It just, it had such a huge impact on me and, and the things that I got super interested in as I got older. And, um, and yeah, I, I don't know. It is, it is just kind of remarkable to think back on, on, you know, and, and I guess maybe this is why it's taken over the internet, right? Is that, it's it's this ability to look back and be like, you know what, like, yeah, movies actually really are these powerful pieces of art that that can have a pretty profound impact on someone's life. And, uh, you know, I think I think we have a tendency to, um, you know, kind of forget that it's almost like reminds me of the scene in Men in Black where, you know, they're sitting there and he kind of looks at him. And he's like, you know, we we never really just stop and and look at the stars anymore. You know, and it's kind of, I, I guess that's kind of in a sense, um, maybe a bit corny nostalgia there. But, you know, it is true. Like, it is true that we all have these movies that have had some sort of huge impact on elements or, you know, an element of our of our lives. And it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. So, so, I mean, Lucas wrote and directed that first one. Um mm-hmm. Since then, I mean, has your your love for uh, A New Hope or Star Wars um, diminished or grown or stayed the same? I mean, we've had I, since then. We've had yeah. s- how many more movies? Uh, oh gosh, nine now. Yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how do how do you feel at, at that at this point with the Star Wars universe? Um, or I guess just with yeah. with Star Wars in general, the first movie like ha- has it changed at all now that you've had more expanded story? You know, no. Um, the first movie, the the first trilogy, really. Um, you know, the original trilogy, four, five, and six. I think those are always going to hold kind of that biased, special place in 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 my life, just because that's kind of what got me into it. Um, you know, obviously there's there is problems with all of the other movies and there's problems even with four, five and six. But I think you have a tendency to forgive those problems a lot more if that's what you started, you know, like that's what you're exposed to first. Um, I was excited, you know, I was very excited when Disney acquired the rights to it because I was like, OK, we're we're going to get new movies. And um, I don't know, I, I, I it's interesting because I was super excited. And then after the movie started kind of coming out, I. I really wasn't that excited anymore. I, I, I got pretty fatigued with what they were doing. And, you know, I liked Rogue One. I thought it was a good movie. But, um, you know, The Force Awakens, I don't know. It just It's very heavy-handed fan service. And I don't want to say that it's necessarily bad, but that certainly started me down the road of, like, okay. And then, I don't know. Uh, you know, there's something about knowing that you're going to get at least one Star Wars movie every year uh, from now, basically until forever. And, you know, I don't know. I think there was just something more special about it when there wasn't always like the guarantee of a new Star Wars movie. And in some instances we might be getting, you know, we might be getting two Star Wars movies in a year now, which is kind of crazy to think of. And I don't know. It even seems like they're just kind of rehashing the same things. And, you know, I think, what I would like to see out of Star Wars is 
something different. You know, I mean, like we don't need to necessarily keep following the Skywalkers anymore. You know, like they're they they've had their their story, and we're all very familiar with it. And there's so many different unique places and and races and species and all these other things that we could explore and and stories that could be told that i i think it's a missed opportunity that we aren't doing that already and um i don't know i'm just a little burnout on them right now i still i i'm not burnt out on the original trilogy like i could throw that on right now and always be entertained and and enjoy it but um the new movies i i don't know i i'm uh, I don't want to again. I don't want to say they're necessarily bad, but I just I'm not. They don't hold that same magic that uh, the original ones did, and I don't think we'll ever see that again. And I don't think kids will ever really get to have that experience ever again because you know that's the problem now is you are pretty much guaranteed that you are going to get some sort of Star Wars movie every single year now. And I think it's like the old saying goes: too much of anything, whether it's good or bad, is still too much mm. uh, i mean i have to say i'm i'm i probably am one of those people that missed the boat because i don't think i saw it until it did the digital remastered re-release in the theaters so at that point in my life i was just like oh it's a thing i didn't i never really got into star wars uh i would say at this point yeah rogue one is probably my favorite uh just because i just think it's a different story set in that world and i was i was interested in that but yeah, uh, I can see. I see why uh, you know that would be one of your picks. Yeah, but uh, enough about me and uh, Star Wars. Uh, what about you? What it, what what was like? What was your process like? What, obviously, you you wanted to have this you know discussion. I think it's a great discussion to have. But like, what what did you start kind of thinking of that led you to your first movie on this list? Like, what what was your kind of qualifying you know thoughts to pick films for this so when i saw this uh, show up online um honestly i i was thinking like what because you and i both are very much into movies i think you know mm-hmm. uh, obviously you're you're a filmmaker and, and you you love to make it as a director uh i personally would love to, to make it as a writer and i really was thinking you know if we were so we're so much into this medium it had to have started somewhere. Something had to have caught our our eye and made us think, yeah, this is what I'd like to do with my life, you know? Um, and for me, I would have to say probably one of the first things that got me, one of the first movies that really got me into, into movies uh, would have to be Goonies. Um, I honestly thought that that was something that was, so much fun and adventure. Like, you know, I'd already seen probably like, uh, Indiana Jones at that point, And I'd already seen, um, I don't know, some, you know, other uh, like gremlins, but this is something that was a bunch of kids that were mm-hmm. running around. They were saving the day. They were having an adventure that, you know, I, as a kid myself probably would never have thought was possible for you know being able to do um so just to almost feel like i was a part of some kind of epic quest that you know you could only see adults doing was really captured my mind i guess would be the best way to put it capture my imagination to be like hey 
you know, what are the other stories that are out there like this? I mean, I guess that was my first uh, introduction to young adult, you know, <laughs> entertainment. Uh, that's essentially what, you know, Harry Potter and uh, Percy Jackson and all those other things are, is the kids can have an adventure or be on a quest too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Did you, did you, do you recall, I don't know if you remember, but did you watch this movie before or after you had seen Indiana Jones? You know, I have to say that I, I, I'm almost positive I saw this after I saw um, Temple of Doom because uh, I distinctly remember seeing Temple of Doom before I ever saw uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know mm-hmm. if my and I know who who was that showed me those movies is my uncle and I don't know if he was very much a stickler of uh, the fact that you know Temple of Doom is a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark so he wanted me to watch it in chronological or he just happened to have uh, he just happened to throw that one on first you know kind of thing <laughs> uh, but yeah I know that I watched Indiana Jones before I ever saw the Goonies now I I'm. I, I don't know what do you know the year that Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came out? Oh uh because Goonies is nineteen eighty five. Oh, so Temple yeah. of Doom is nineteen eighty four. Now I was born in eighty two. There's no possible way I went and saw either one of these movies in the in the, the theater. I mean I could have went and saw the Goonies in the theater. I, I would have been three. But I'm pretty sure I didn't, and I wouldn't be able to remember it. But I do distinctly remember the scene in Goonies when uh, Chunk is is describing going to the movies and like doing fake vomit on everybody, like <laughs> and thinking I'm in the theater and someone could do that to me, kind of thing. So right. I don't know if there was some kind of re-release or I just have a really good memory of that for some reason. Hmm. I, I don't know. That's uh, that is pretty fascinating, though, especially if you are like remembering actually watching that in a theater at like almost an impossible age to remember it. it yes, almost. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's you know, and I guess I mean at that time when I first saw the Goonies, I wouldn't I wouldn't couldn't tell you about uh, writers or directors or anything like that. But you know, going back now as an adult, or even when I was you know younger as a young adult or a teenager. Uh, you know, finding out that's Richard Donner uh, directing and Steven Spielberg and Chris Columbus doing the writing, or at least Spielberg doing the story, and Chris Columbus mm-hmm. do, doing the writing. You know, that makes a lot more sense because you know, eventually I'll go on to watch a lot of Richard Donner movies and love them, and Steven Spielberg movies essentially shape my childhood and then adulthood now. You know, uh, and Christopher Columbus, Chris Columbus, you know, making was a home alone. And then like the first two Harry Potter movies, I mean, he's got other things. He's obviously made a bunch of other movies and just, those are the two, those are the things that are popping in my head right now. Yeah. Um, he's done a lot of producing though. I think, I think he mostly does producing now. Mm. Um, he does have a lot, he did a lot of directing as well. And weirdly enough, I think he's actually directing or, or I think there was, if I remember correctly, I think it was him that there was an announcement that he was going to be directing, uh, five nights at Freddy's, which is based off of a video game Um, in, in a mobile video game at that. So it's not like there's a lot of story to it, but the fact that it's a horror video game, it makes sense that they would want to develop it into a movie. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, he. Uh, but yeah, he's he's been in the game for a really long time. Uh, I think he also directed uh, 
Rent, I think, was another one of his. And Mrs. Doubtfire was his as well, right? I think he mm-hmm. did that with uh, the now late uh, Robin, Robin Williams. Williams. But, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- I mean, that's so that's where I guess I would start off my list of movies that influenced me and how uh, I feel. I-, I think that's my where I come at from movies, you know, uh, is it, cause the characters in that are so, I mean, I believe, I feel like they're well-developed and there's so many of them that you, you know, you don't get to spend a lot of time with our, with all of them, you know, obviously Bran is kind of the main character and you follow more of his story than anything else, but you get a good idea of where all the other characters are coming from chunk and mouth and data and you know their their family life and you know why they do the things that they do and then you know then you just have a fun story a fun adventure that they go on and that's i i you know that's something i think that i try to recapture whenever i'm watching an adventure movie like that yeah and uh, you know like you said i think the thing that makes it interesting and the whole reason that i brought up like the temple of doom thing or the indiana jones things was because like obviously these have kind of a, a very similar feel, which isn't surprising. Like you said, the story was kind of uh, brought up originally by uh, Steven Spielberg. But I, I think, you know, I think it's always interesting when you can kind of remember films like this and the draw for it was really that it was uh, identifiable to you because it was a cast of of child actors. You know what I mean? It was like instantly identifiable because like Indiana Jones, sure, you watch her like, man, this dude's a badass. Like, <laughs> I want to go explore tombs and, uh, you know, punch Nazis. And I, too, am afraid of snakes. But then when you see, like, kids doing a similar thing, you're like, my God, is is this a profession that I can actually <laughs> do? When I, like, right now? Like, can we just go on an adventure and explore caves and tunnels? And, you know, it's, it's like that or... Um, uh, what was it like three ninjas? Yeah, you know what I mean. Where you're like, oh my gosh, like kids can be ninjas. Well, this I, is cool. I also think that you know, as a child, when you look at when you watch a movie like Indiana Jones, you can sit there and think, oh god, that 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 adult is just like my dad. My dad could be just like that adult, you know, kind of thing. But when you watch something like this, when it's kids, you can think I can be just like that. I don't. I don't know. That's the way I. I think I. My brain kind of wraps around it. And I also want to say is that. Uh, one of the things that really captures me about the about Goonies is the Rube Goldberg devices, you know. So to let Chunk into the house, he, you know, they have to release the chicken and the egg rolls down and all that stuff to just to open the gate. And then that goes on further when you get to in the caves when you know all the traps and booby traps that uh, One Eyed Willie had set up, like all the things like this has to happen for that to happen to eventually open the door, like for some reason those those little things always uh amuse me no and i i and that movie is completely full of those events and i think it's so like the pacing of that movie from what i remember it's been a long time since i've seen the the goonies but the pacing that i remember for that was just absolutely perfect too like it was just wonderful uh, a very wonderful uh, adventure movie to watch yeah so what would be the next movie on your list Oh my goodness! Um, I I don't know. So I, I I've been moving these around a little bit because I've been thinking about them more and more as as you know we've gone on. But I I think my number two uh, is Enter the Dragon, um, which is a Bruce Lee movie for anyone who maybe doesn't know that. <laughs> um, 
which I mean, I can't imagine people don't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's kids nowadays that are don't know who Bruce Lee really is. But, you know, I, I don't know. This is crazy because I. I obviously did not put this movie on when I was very young. My I remember uh, I was with my dad and my dad was like, oh, we're going to watch we're going to watch this movie with this uh, martial artist and his name's Bruce Lee. You know, he's an amazing martial artist and all this sort of stuff. And um, I remember watching this movie and just being like, wow, like, what is this? Like, I've, I've, I've never seen people do these kind of things before, you know, like, it's just crazy. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think it always just held a special place because this was like one of the this and uh Steve McQueen's Bullet are are probably the two movies that I remember watching with my dad because, you know, my dad's not a super uh, film fanatic or anything like that, but he had very particular reasons for liking both of those movies. And, like, this one was just the, the, the sheer amount of respect that he had for for Bruce Lee. And, and, and of course, you know, watching this movie and, and having that gateway opened up and then, you know, kind of, researching and learning more and more about Bruce Lee and who he was and his ideologies and, you know, just how much more human than human he was. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? He was just always this larger than life icon that was just an incredible human being, um, incredible of, of these, or not incredible, capable of these, you know, beyond believed feats that, you know, just normal people weren't, um, it just not only, you know, kind of moved Bruce Lee into a status of becoming like a huge uh, inspiration and, and personal hero to myself, but it was also, I think, the first real movie that I can remember that kind of opened the doorway to uh, foreign films and more specifically Asian foreign films, which, of course, I've gone on to become a huge, huge fanatic for all uh, Asian cinema. I think it's just some of the things that they've done and their philosophies on making film and uh, all that sort of stuff has just really always after this been just this incredible uh, journey and discovery of, of more and more of, of those cultures and of those films. And uh, that all started with this movie, which is why it's, you know, why it's on this list for me. And uh, I mean, obviously, it, obviously, a very great movie. It ended up being his last movie he made. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think the first Chinese movie to be made by an American or Chinese martial arts movie to be made by an American or a Hollywood studio. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that's probably his first American movie, not his first American production, because he did a lot of TV. Uh, as Green Hornet and, uh, you know, other things. Right. But uh, definitely the first movie, American movie that he starred in. So all these things, yeah, coming together to obviously make a a grand movie to that would finally spotlight and uh, a best, I mean, you put it best, uh, you know, human that's more than human, but, you know, obviously a, 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 a mega entertainer man, you know, child of life, what, I mean, however you want to put it, that deserved to be brought out to the masses. And, and yeah, uh, what, I mean, what a spectacular movie. And 
uh, everything that they do in that movie just I, I mean, I imagine you can speak more to the the filmmaking of it in general, but yeah, it's it's a it's a gorgeous looking movie for you know being made in what nineteen seventy three. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you said, you know, I, I think I think the big thing for me is is the movie, but I think it's more of Bruce Lee, like you said, you know, I mean, yeah, there the the movie's wonderful. But I, it just one of the things that has always amazed me is just how much of an impact he's had on not only the film world, but the martial arts world and just how many people he himself ha- still continues to impact and how many people still look up to Bruce Lee and, you know, the things that he was able to accomplish and you know, just his pure dedication to to everything that he was involved in. I mean, like, I've read so many different, um, you know, biographies and things like that on him where, you know, his training regimen was, was just beyond what any normal human being would even consider doing, you know? Um, and, and I don't know. I mean, like, maybe this is the wrong way to say it, but I feel like we'll never see anyone reach the same status as Bruce Lee ever again. You know, I, I think we certainly have some some wonderful uh, martial arts talent that's in film and things like that. Um, you know, of course, I can imagine a, a young uh, adult now sitting down and watching something like Ong Bak or The Protector or The Raid and just, you know, being completely blown away by those because, you know, the film techniques have gotten so much better. The martial arts and capturing the martial arts have gotten so much better, but all of that really took that turn when Bruce Lee was the, you know, like Bruce Lee was kind of the one that was the straw that broke the camel's back and opened the floodgates for that to become the status that it was or that it ended up becoming and still is today. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He was the, he's the one that set, set or blazed the trail or set the standard for, you know, what those, what we now know as a, a martial arts film, and yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's we have a lot to uh, thank him for. But with that being said, um, what about you? What uh, what do you got on your list for number two? So I would say that my next movie would be uh, The Princess Bride. You know, um, this idea of this essential fairy tale story um come to life and and takes a lot of fairy tale um tropes and kind of changes them like you know any the stories that you were told as a child you know you got to watch out for the giant cuz he's evil you know he's going to try and kill you well the giant in this movie is gentle and loving and you know cares for his friends the the bad guy in the end doesn't get killed. You know, it's, it, he has to live with what he did. And, and that's expressed in the story. Like, you know, he's, it, it, you, the characters explain, you know, no, you have to, you have to understand, you have to live with what the, the consequence, you have to live with the consequences of, of your actions as opposed to just, I'm going to come in and kill you. And thus the story's over, you know? So, which you normally get, you know, the, the, what's it? The huntsman comes in and kills the, the, big bad wolf in little red riding hood to save mm-hmm. little red riding hood kind of thing. But that doesn't happen in the story. It's, it really gave me 
the idea that stories don't have to follow the formula. It, where, where it still does follow a formula, though, but it doesn't have to. They don't have to be the same. They, you know, things can change, and as long as you do it well and you write it well and you, you know, you, uh, the, you know, uh, you can keep the audience's interest, then people are going to love it. And I think this is a, to me, this is one of those movies that's definitely span the the time and uh people still love it to this day yeah i i completely agree with you i mean i i think this was similar for me to like your star wars uh situation like i didn't really get into this film or see this film until i was much much uh, older but one of the things that um that i always liked about it was was kind of this like you said kind of this action adventure fantasy but also kind of a comedy you know what i mean it wasn't like indiana jones where it was kind of very serious it was it was definitely much it was much more on the scale of being kind of this absurd uh fantasy comedy and i think that's one of the biggest reasons that i always enjoyed it and the cast the cast was just so wonderful too you know and i mean i can imagine that that cast would have been a lot more pertinent uh, watching this earlier on. You know what I mean? And somebody that was a fan of Andre the giant or, or anything like that, you know, cause, um, Oh man, what, um, the guy who plays, what is it? Wesley is his name's Carrie L Elwes. Yeah. His name or something? Yeah. Carrie Elwes. Like the, the first movie I think I ever remember seeing him in was days of thunder, mm-hmm. um, where he's like a replacement driver for, uh, Tom Cruise. And then they end up getting kind of in a, you know, battle back and forth as to who's gonna, you know, since Rowdy was out and couldn't really drive anymore. Like he became the new on track nemesis. And like, I think that was the first movie I ever really saw him in. And then I ended up watching the princess bride later. And I was like, Oh no way. That's, that's the guy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's pretty fascinating, but, but I, I also feel like maybe this movie would be similar to like the never ending story for me because I watched the never ending story when I was really young. And like, that was another like kind of over the top story being told to a kid and you're, you're witnessing that story through the eyes of the child that that story is being told, you know, or read in the case of never ending story. But but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I always have really liked movies that do that, which is another reason that I love uh, the movie The Fall that was directed by Tarsum. And mm. uh, it kind of shares that same thing where there's like a little girl that's in the hospital with this uh, this other guy who's been injured. And uh, he starts kind of telling her this story. And uh, it's, it's very similar to how um, the never-ending story and the Princess Bride unfold, you know, like the visions through her imagination and her mind's eye, and I think that that's, I think that's a really cool way to do a movie that we don't see a lot of anymore, you know? No, yeah, yeah absolutely, and and you know, The Fall has been on my Netflix queue for so long, I just have not gotten around to watching it, and uh, purely on your recommendation, I just and I just I know I need to. Um, there, uh, yeah, when you were talking about Carrie Elwes, and and yeah, uh, you know, if you ever get a chance to listen to him talk or re, you know, um, uh, recollect about about working on this film, it's it's it sounds it sounds amazing, like the th- the times that they had on the on set and stuff like that. But it's it is interesting because other than this and maybe uh, Robin Hood print or Robin Hood Men in Tights. Like yeah. he usually always plays the dick, like the the jerk in the movie, which I I find hilarious because yeah, uh, like you were saying in in Days of Thunder, he's the he's the jerk off that comes and replaces Tom Cruise. 
in uh, Twister. He's the the jerk off with all the fancy equipment that tries to, you know, run Helen Hunt and and uh, uh, oh man, why can't I think of his name? Bill Paxton off the road in you know into a into a tornado and mm-hmm. uh, in Kiss the Girls. Twister. I think he's the he's the bad guy. He's the killer in that. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's. It's either Kiss the Girls or Along Came a Spider. I always forget which one's which, but yeah, you know, it's. I, I think it is Kiss the Girls. I'm pretty sure. Okay, yeah. So that's that's. I, I I find it funny that this movie. Obviously, I think most people remember him from, but he's tried to do a lot. He's done a lot of other things where he's not been the same character. Where you don't see that a lot with with certain actors. You know, a lot of actors end up playing the same type of role over and over. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of one of those uh, unfortunate realities behind the industry is that if you're doing something and you are good at it, then it's very easy to get pigeonholed into only doing that. And that is something you do have to be kind of careful of if you don't want that to happen. So where are we going next in your filmography? Well, um, I don't know. This is really getting difficult at this point. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's just so many movies, but uh, I think, you know, I, I, I've talked a little bit about how these other movies kind of opened my eyes to what films could be or, or you know, the fact that there was more films that happened not just here in the in the States, but on a global scale. But I think the movie that really solidified my love of, of, of film and filmmaking and was just this like unbelievable moment of like, the only way I think of it could ever describe this is like a, a young kid watching a, a magician do a magic trick and just being like completely mind blown and, and thinking, wait a second, how on earth did they accomplish that? Which is already kind of crazy because I've already talked about star Wars. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're like, wait a minute, this is like, what? <laughs> but I don't know what it is about this movie, but I just, I went, I watched this movie. This will, this will kind of date it pretty heavily for you here, but at a drive-in, Ooh. I remember going to the drive-in with a bean bag, like one of the big bean bag chairs in the back of, of my dad's truck. And uh, and setting the beanbag down and pulling the little speaker off the stand and and sitting it in my lap and watching Terminator Two, Judgment Day. Wow! And I hadn't I hadn't even seen the original Terminator. <laughs> this was my first Terminator experience, which I should not have been watching this. It was an R rated <laughs> movie. But like you know, early '90s, late '80s, early '90s, like all the movies were were pretty violent in in that time period, and I didn't know anything about Arnold Schwarzenegger or James Cameron or uh, you know any of those things, and I just remember seeing this movie and like watching the T one thousand you know change and liquefy himself and then explode and like they you know use uh, i'm assuming that it was mercury you know to make it kind of this liquid metal of him coming back together and just the the sheer unbelievable amount of detail that was in the movie like uh you know how the the truck crashes and then there's we, we see the gasoline pouring out and in any other movie 
the, the truck would have just boom exploded but no james cameron gets an insert shot of these cables sparking so that there's some sort of reason and it doesn't just <laughs> magically blow up and, the, and there's just so many of these little intricacies and and perfectionist details in in terminator 2 that I, I i don't know i think this is really the movie that propelled my drive and desire to be a filmmaker like i think this and maybe it wasn't but this is the first that i can actually remember being like dear god like people literally get to do this every day (laughs) as a career like this is something you can legitimately do as a livelihood it's amazing and I, i i really think this was that movie for me, you know, and and that's what and it was so difficult because I was like, well, do I put it at number two or <laughs> at the number one slot? Um, and, and I mean, this and and the other movie that I'll talk about later are are very neck and neck, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. This movie was just something beyond uh, incredible to me, you know. And it's it's just like the scene where where uh, uh, Linda Hamilton is like standing and watching the nuclear bomb go go off, and it just melts the person's face, and they turn into a skeleton. Like that was me watching this movie. Like it just metaphorically melted everything in my brain, and I was like, "This is amazing." <laughs> Uh, I, I love that you put propelled, so it propelled your your love for movie making. But I also think that this particular film, I mean, though though Arnold had already made a bunch of movies at this point, I would say that this without this movie, you wouldn't have Arnold Schwarzenegger being who we know Arnold Schwarzenegger is at this point. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like him portraying the Terminator again at this point in his life in his career, it really made it so that. Uh, people could see him as other than Conan the Barbarian or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Hercules in New York or, you know, just the big, dumb action star. Like, you, though the the Terminator itself is a robot and it doesn't have a whole bunch of lines, like, he's able to emote and and get you to feel for him. But, I mean, you think about that that final scene with the thumb sticking up and falling through, to, uh, you know, getting melted in the in the, the 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 forge. I don't know what else to call it, but uh, yeah. that's it's such a, a I think a great turn in Schwarzenegger's career at that point. That probably if without this movie, you he would still be making you know Conan movies. Yeah, I I completely agree with you, and uh, and that's again that's another thing that I'm really glad happened because I I'm a huge fan of of Schwarzenegger too. I love all of his movies, even the ones that aren't super great. I still love them, <laughs> but I, you know I read somewhere once that um, I guess originally for for even the original Terminator, it's James be- Cameron didn't didn't want Schwarzenegger at all. No, it's supposed and, to be OJ uh, Simpson. Yeah, and uh, I guess someone, I forget who it was, I don't know if it was somebody at the studio or producer or whatever, somebody convinced him, or maybe it was Arnold himself, I don't know, somebody convinced him to just sit down and have lunch with him. And uh, James Cameron said that when he looked at him in person for the first time, he was like, the symmetry of his face and like his body, he was just like, this guy is is essentially a god. Like, this dude's (laughs) not even a person. Um, and and that was immediately what pushed him into being like, yep, this is the guy. He's we're using him. And uh, you're right; it is crazy. It's crazy to think that something like that could could go on and and 
lead to a second film and then you know i think bringing him back and kind of showing him as more of a a good guy in this film versus you know and then what a twist too i mean imagine watching the first one and thinking you know holy crap this robot's horrible and then you start the second one off thinking oh my god this robot's gonna come and be evil again and then the twist is he's a good guy and he's you know providing robot daycare for this (laughs) troubled angsty child you know and well, I, uh, I, I yeah, it's something incredible. Yeah, I, I think I think if I remember correctly, as the story goes too, is that he originally was going to audition for the um, Kyle Reese part, and oh, yeah, and then they were like, oh no, no, I think he's better off the Terminator. But uh, I think this is <laughs> also you know take into account Terminator One, and I, I've had this conversation with someone else before. Is the first Terminator is essentially a slasher film? But instead mm-hmm. of a, having a, a knife or, you know, a, a claw glove, he has a, a gun. And if you replace yeah. those things with a, you know, with a, a machete, he's the same as Jason Voorhees. So, yeah. uh, once again, Cameron has taken a movie. This time it's his own movie, which Terminator, the first Terminator is his movie. He takes a horror action movie and he makes it into a straight up sci-fi action movie where, you know, like in Alien, Alien is a straight up horror movie that's set in space. Aliens, which is directed by Cameron, uh, becomes a uh, action sci-fi movie instead of a horror movie. So I think that's, I think that's once again an- another person whose career ultimately changes. I think because of this movie, James Cameron, I would say, was probably headed in a different direction until he makes Terminator Two, and then you get Titanic and Avatar and you know, whatever else blockbuster movies he wants to make with his billions and bill upon billions of dollars. So I guess what we're, what we're saying here is, is that avatar two, the Navi are the enemy. They're the bad guys this time. I wouldn't put it past him. Actually. I really <laughs> wouldn't, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I could definitely see that happening. And I, I mean, I, 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 I listen to a lot of, uh, film podcasts and, uh, other film reviewers and film critics and, entertainment websites and stuff and it sounds like a lot of people really aren't interested in seeing the sequels to avatar i honestly do i want to see what he's gonna i mean you can sit here and say you know maybe that first movie is not rememberable it made no impact on the the zeitgeist or the you know cultural impact or anything like that but i enjoyed it and i want to i want to see what he does with the rest of the world that he's created there just to see what happens if it ends up being bad i'll be like yeah that's probably you know you probably should have just left it alone but uh i i can't wait to find out no yeah i i I agree with you i think it is it it is a weird situation because you have avatar which was the highest grossing film for a long time Mm -hmm. and and yet you're right It, it it is strange that you almost never come across someone who is like an avatar fanatic and and most people would be even hard pressed to quote the movie, other than perhaps "I see you," right? Um, you know, but I agree with you, and, and I think the, the the more interesting thing here is how long it is taking, and the fact that they're like, oh, well, we're we're essentially trying to make, you know, five movies now, yeah. and you're like, wait a second, you've only done one. Maybe let's do two and see how the other ones are. And and I think at some point, I think somebody, you know, did kind of say that. And I, but 
uh, last I'd heard, they're still looking at, at moving forward with all of them, and they've been shooting them all kind of at the same time from, from what I hear. So I think they I cut know. it back we'll, from we'll five sequels to three, two sequels, though. I think there's only supposed to be uh, Avatar 2 and 3 now. But I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But I think I've heard them cut it back. I mean, I think that would make the most amount of sense you know what i mean i think i think a trilogy for the most part unless you're doing some sort of anthology kind of in the way of like what marvel's uh doing mm-hmm. i think three is a good stopping point um you know what i mean i think if you're going to try to push it beyond that you know i, I don't know i, I mean that, I mean, two and three already is kind of like well i mean do we really need to go there but then you know at the same time you're right like there was a lot of of interesting theories and things like that that he did with that movie that I think we could see in other Avatar movies. But it is curious to be like, well, where is this going to go? And I think that's really the draw for me right now as well, is like, where does this franchise go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're you're absolutely right. Where where do you go from here with that? And, uh, you know, and I, honestly, that's the only thing that I could, I, I, I am really excited to see is the, the rest of the world that the Navi live in. Cause we, you know, we essentially only saw the, the life tree, whatever it was called. See, once again, just like you said, can't really mm-hmm. quote, remember things from it, but, uh, you know, there's gotta be creatures that live in the water, you know, creatures that live in, uh, the mountains and stuff like that. So the, I, I just would love to see what, you know, what else is in that world. So but yeah. not talking about Avatar because it's not one of the movies that define me. I would say <laughs> the next movie that really defines my taste in movies and and what I I strive for when I'm trying to write is Seven, which uh, nice. directed by David Fincher. You know, it really starts off my from lack of a better term love affair with david fincher like the 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 look of that movie you know gets carried over into fight club and panic room and uh mm-hmm. uh the game you know i think the game came out before this but it's still I, I i'm pretty sure i watched it after i watched seven but yeah those uh, everything about that movie and then you get to the writing which is andrew andrew kevin walker Yep. I can't say that I, yeah. I, I really like a lot of his other movies, but uh, the mo- this one in particular, I just I love everything about it. I love the the setup, the mystery, the the ending, you know, where your bad guy has played your good guys to the T that he knows exactly what's going to happen. And the fact that it ends with his death, Kevin Spacey's death or Kevin Spacey's character's death. Uh, it was all planned by him himself. You know, it's just, I, I love that type of storytelling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, out of all the, his other films, um, not, not Fincher, but, um, Andrew, uh, Andrew Kevin Walker. Oh, yeah. I think the other one that's probably the closest to this, uh, is eight millimeter, uh, which he did. I don't know. Uh, seven was in what? 95. I think eight millimeter was in t- 99,000. That was 99. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I think out of everything that I'm familiar with in terms of what he wrote, I think those two are the closest. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting that um, he really didn't write a whole lot. I think he only, I think he's only done like a handful of movies or maybe two handfuls of movies, but he really, as a writer, didn't do very much. But 
David Fincher, on the other hand, um, has become an amazing director. And I think, you know, he, again, like Cameron, is one of those directors that is, that is fanatically attached to details. Um, like when you sit down and watch Seven, not only is the writing in Seven wonderful, but if you ever sit down and go scene by scene through Seven, the composition um, of where the actors are and how the action is unfolding and, and how it's captured is masterful. I mean, it is some of the best directing um, that is out there, in my opinion, is is David Fincher with Seven. And I, I mean, I heard a story, and I forget what movie it was, but uh, he was, I think he was doing a movie with uh, uh, Ben Affleck. And uh, he had, David Fincher had walked away, and Ben Affleck went up to the camera guy and was like, hey, uh, adjust the aperture like half a stop. I want to see if if David's going to notice. And uh, I guess the story goes that David Fincher came back, took one look at it, and was like, who adjusted the aperture half a stop? (laughs) Wow. Like, nailed it, like, specifically, which, I don't know. I mean, like, adjusting it, like, yes. I mean, like, I don't know of hardly anyone. And, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that story is complete BS. Maybe it's not true. But if it is true, like, to have that much of, like, a discerning, controlling eye for the craft – um, is something that demands the utmost of respect, in my opinion. Like to to not only be like I want to be uh, a filmmaker and a storyteller, but I want to perfect and master my craft to that degree of 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 importance in his his life. I think is truly amazing, and I think you see it in all of his films. I mean, like you said, um, Facebook is incredible, or Facebook <laughs> social um, network. I call, the face- network I call it the Facebook movie all the time, too. <laughs> Facebook the movie, uh, starring uh, Data as um, uh, whatever the guy who runs Facebook's name is, Mark Zuckerberg. Because um, apparently he's a robot from all the trial stuff that was, or the testifying stuff that went on. Right. I mean, like, you know, that, even, even Zodiac, I would argue. Oh, such a great movie. A masterpiece. Um, but the he, Fight Club is wonderful. I mean, he, I cannot think of one movie of his that I have seen that wasn't truly incredible in in the crafting of it, at least. Yeah, and it, I don't know if you've had a chance to check out Mindhunter yet or Mindhunters, whichever one it is, on Netflix. Uh, you know, that's his TV series. It's it's phenomenal too like just the the storytelling in that over a long form of 10 episodes is great and i you know in seven the way that he goes around depicting each one of the seven sins you know in such a such a way that it's both gruesome but then awestruck you know you know just makes you want to look at every stitch of everything on the on the frame like it's just the way to paint that story was, was so phenomenal for me at such a young age too. I mean, and, and I was wrong. Uh, the, the game did come out after this came seven was in 95. The games in 97, but, um, oh, nice. Yeah. You know, the, the, the way that the, the, that this is shot for me was just aw, awestruck. Yeah. And I mean, even the game, I mean, if, if if you have or if you're someone listening to this right now and you have not seen the game, legitimately go watch it as soon as you're done listening to this. Yes. You will not be disappointed. It is a <laughs> incredible movie. 
and uh and very much like seven it is masterfully crafted and and the story is just wonderful so definitely check that out if you haven't seen that as well last movie on your filmography what 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 has defined you richard all right so um i think um there is and i don't have unfortunately like i said i don't have statistical analytical data to prove this well then it's not valid. i believe <laughs> right yeah but it's not true um i believe that this is the movie that i have watched the most uh repeated times in my life and that is ghostbusters the original i should say the original ghostbusters a, a, a sentence i never thought i would have to say <laughs> the original ghostbusters the 1984 Not ghostbusters the with dan Aykroyd, harold ramis bill murray and ernie hudson and sigourney weaver okay and rick and moranis rick moranis <laughs> which annie potts yeah yeah i mean th- i don't know this movie is there is something that I find new in this movie every time I watch it, even though I think I've seen it over a thousand times. And and the humor, the 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 like, I don't know. There's something about the way this movie was written. There's something about the chemistry between everyone that was involved in this. Like this movie is just probably the most special movie to me. And it's simply just because of how wonderful it is to watch. <laughs> like, it, it's just amazing. Like, I, I can't say that I was a, you know, huge paranormal uh, fan before I watched this movie. But you watch this movie and, and as it goes, a lot of the things that we now associate with actual descriptors for certain things of, of the paranormal world were crafted by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis writing this script. And I mean, the, the, the humor in it is done in such a way that younger kids, cause this is, uh, I think it's PG. I think it was before PG 13 was uh, around or maybe shortly after, but it's, I think it's PG, but this is a movie that like young kids can watch and laugh at a lot of the humor and jokes. But then there are also very, very sophisticated jokes that you're only going to pick up on after you've watched this multiple times. And as you mature and become more of an adult. And I think that's just what's so incredible about this movie is that the humor in it is so spot on. It's so perfect, but it's also so multifaceted that really anyone of any age can enjoy something about this movie. Um, And, and I think it's just, I, I think it also helped kind of propel and launch the career of basically everyone that was in this to even higher levels than what they were at before, you know? Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, and it, obviously it isn't quite as uh, culturally phenomenon as star Wars, but uh, you do still see a lot of people that, um, I mean, we, we had that happen when we were, um, uh, I believe we we're at the Yuma comic con and uh, there was a whole group of, of, ghostbusters that showed up that they were like a charity organization that went around as ghostbusters and raised money for charity and i'm like and that was even before they announced the reboot or anything else i mean that's coming off of ghostbusters one and two which you know would have been in the 80s and stuff and i mean to still be relevant and and have younger people be engaged and interested in it and i i don't know it's just so incredible to me yeah they you know i would definitely say that this movie 
didn't launch their movie careers, but definitely made it so that people saw them as movie stars. You know, mm-hmm. you, you probably had Harold Ramis and, and Bill Murray doing um, Stripes before this, but that this is what definitely made it so that they were seen as movie stars as opposed to TV stars. Because you know, a lot of them came off of uh, Saturday Night Live. Um, right. Yeah, the the Ghostbuster charity group. I, I think that was the the Ghostbusters of Arizona that was there. Uh, you know, very much in the same branch as the five hundred first. You know, stormtroopers that yeah. do a bunch of charity work all over the. You have Ghostbusters of different regions all over the country, all over the world that do this exact same thing. They have there's a documentary on Netflix about them. I think it's called. I think they're called Ghost Heads or something like that. Or it's called Ghost Heads. Definitely a great watch, and. Yeah, you know, I mean, I re- I've watched this movie many times over, you know, over the years of my life, and it's it's always good. There's never a not a good time, and I I I I don't want to sit there and say once again I don't have the statistical analysis <laughs> to back right. it up, but I wouldn't I would say that you you couldn't find one person that doesn't at least like this movie, you know, let alone love it. it it's just a great movie for everyone and and the whole pg thing yeah it it, it was pg and i don't don't necessarily know if it would have made a pg-13 but you know red dawn was the first pg-13 movie and that came out a a month after this or two months after this so pg was definitely uh it was definitely in there for for the pg and getting the kids to come see it and stuff like that yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I just I can't say enough about this. And obviously, I, again, this was another movie that I watched when I was, you know, in my in my youth, and uh, <laughs> it it has always stayed with me. It has always held a special place for me and everyone involved too. Like I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I think Rick Moranis eventually got out of acting because I think it had something to do with the untimely passing of his wife, and yeah. so he kind of gave up filmmaking to take care of his family and his kids which is hugely respectable but you know i do think it is unfortunate that he didn't get to go on and and continue making movies because i I, he was another part of this movie that's just perfect and uh you know obviously he went on to do other movies that i really watched as a young kid like honey i shrunk the kids and things like that um that were wonderful and um yeah, I, I I don't know. There there just really isn't enough good things that I can say about this movie and how it had some degree and impact on me and how it still does. I know um, basically whenever there's a day that maybe I'm not quite, you know, maybe I'm starting to get sick or maybe I am sick or maybe I'm just feeling down, um, it's one of my go-tos. I, I'll either fire up Ghostbusters or I'll fire up Beverly Hills Cop or sometimes both. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and I, I still think this is probably the movie that I have seen the most amount of times on on you know a repetitive watching thing but yeah so here we go (laughs) horrible sound effect of a drum roll what is what is mitch's number one movie i mean defines i wouldn't know i don't know if i put any of these in in a certain order or anything but it's definitely up there because it it made me and it, and it's funny thing is is that not on the initial watch did it make me feel this way, but coming off of watching it and then going into learning more about it and more, learning more about the the writer director, it it definitely made me feel like yeah I could I could make movies these these are things that I could do too, 
uh, and it would be Clerks. Clerks, uh, you know, Kevin Smith's first film. Now, nice. I think the funny, one of the funny stories that that's about this, or that comes from this movie is how I first saw it. Uh, I remember I had stayed home from school sick one day, and my mother had gone to the grocery store. And now this is in 94 when, uh, you know, mo- uh, they had uh, movie renting sections in the actual grocery store still. So, you know, VHSs and stuff like that. And she had come home from the grocery store, and I was sick on the couch. And he's like, oh, she's like, oh, here, I got this movie for you. Now, bear in mind, this is 1994, and I'm 12 years old probably a lot of jokes in that that i don't quite understand uh and and definitely don't don't get but uh, i I throw it in and there's this black and white movie and i'm like i don't understand black and white you know (laughs) what's going on here and it, it really captured my my imagination because i get to uh see people talking in a way that you don't normally see in a movie. Like these are people just having normal conversations and you know, there, there's a lot of jokes and I, you know, that's one of the things that, that Kevin Smith does so exceptionally well is his dialogue. But, uh, and I, I, I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed it for what it was at that point in, in my life. You know, I can't, I couldn't really relate to someone doing a, crappy minimum wage nine to five or not even 95 because it's a you know it's a weird shift job but eventually i would i would understand that life because you know i i would get a job like that and i would eventually go to college and get jobs like that but and have to deal with customer service but uh it's the stories that you hear kevin smith talk about like you know this was him and his friends making this movie this was him uh, working on the off hours at his place of of business, you know, a, a, a quick quick stop uh, supermarket or mini mart, mini mart that uh, is it my dogs. They also love clerks and they don't like me how I tell the story. But no, it's huge. You know, basically doing the job while everybody is not there and the place is closed and and stuff like that, and uh, just having to rack up credit card debt because he put it all on a credit card, you know, all the equipment and stuff like that. And though that didn't sound appealing to me, the idea that you could go ahead and make a movie and you got to take in mind that I had this revelation and feeling and heard Kevin Smith talk about this all before the invention of YouTube and smartphones so that you could, you can essentially make your own movies at the at any second of any day, uh, but the idea that 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 was something that could happen was just appealing to me, and it really made it so that I wanted to uh, make my own movies. Still, <laughs> and now they stop. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I I don't know how else to put it. Just the the idea that Kevin Smith. And I'm not trying to put down his movies or anything. I love his movies. I love just about all of his movies. I think the only one I don't like is is Red State, and that I have my problems with that. But uh, I just think that I, I'm not trying to put down his movies. But I think if he could make movies, then I think anybody can make movies, and he'd be the first one to say that too. Well, matter of fact, he he did say it. <laughs> he said it when we were sitting in a crowd of other people watching him talk not long ago. It's uh, absolutely fact, true. It's just about a, um, a month earlier this month, actually. Yep. Um, 
yeah, it was a few weeks ago, matter of fact. <laughs> and uh, no, I, I agree with you. I, I didn't have any problems with Red State. I actually thought Red State was a, a, a really incredible movie. But to, to crap on my taste, uh, I also liked Tusk quite a bit. And a lot of <laughs> other people didn't enjoy that. Oh, I like Tusk. I think that's a great movie, too. I did too. I really enjoyed it. I, I thought uh, it was absurd, but uh, it's very suspenseful. There's uh, very horrific moments that occur in the cinematography, and it's also very beautiful to watch. I think. I, I, uh, I think I, it really see it shows his like development as as a filmmaker oh, yeah. too, like the way that he's actually able to use camera movement. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it's like it's like you said, it's one of those things uh, we were talking about earlier, where it's like you know, if you're not careful about what you do, you can get pigeonholed, and uh, to a certain degree, uh, you know, that was I think kind of the first real movie. Well, maybe not the first real movie because I feel like Red State actually was the first real movie where he stepped out of his quote unquote known wheelhouse. Definitely. Um, but you know, I did I didn't watch. Um, uh, what was it? Yoga Hosiers or Moose Jaws, which I don't know if that even came out. No, he hasn't made Moose Jaws yet. But yes, Yoga Hosiers did yet. come out on Netflix. And, and you can you can check it out. And it's definitely like this. It, you can see that he made this movie with his daughter in mind and definitely wanted to make that movie for her. And not that I'm not saying that he didn't put as much love and passion into it as his other productions, but it's much it's very much is uh, Harley's uh, Harley Smith's movie. Yeah, and I and I you know I think that that's awesome too. But there is something like you said, and it's it's not like you said it's not a derogatory thing here when you say you know he's like oh well you know if, if Kevin Smith can make movies I can make movies and you know he said exactly that when we were watching it. But I still thought he was remarkably inspirational when he was talking, especially when he was closing out the show. You know he's as anybody trying to get into anything right like you have this dream that you want to do something and when you have that you're gonna have good days you're gonna have bad days and you're gonna have those days where self-doubt inevitably kicks in no matter how good you're doing you're always gonna at the end of the day be a flawed person and you're gonna have those moments and you know i I don't know. I, I really wanted to go watch that that show uh, that evening with Kevin Smith because, you know, I'd seen gosh, years ago when we were working at Blockbuster, they did a um, an evening with Kevin Smith special and recorded it. And it was absolutely hysterical. Right. And uh, we've been fans of his for a long time. And obviously, I think there's a certain degree of of like what you're saying with this movie, like this movie showed a representation of of this kind of. Uh, pop culture and geek culture phenomenon that obviously we're you know big part of we ended up making our own podcast network called geek elite radio which you know basically specializes in all those things uh but you know we have like i said we have those good days and we have those bad days and i remember just wanting to go watch that show just to have a laugh and i remember sitting there at the very end and you know he's talking about how he isn't talented how the architect who built the building that, you know, the theater that we're watching him in is talented. And, you know, you're sitting there and you're hearing that you're like, all right, well, this is a guy that's had a wonderful career, um, seemingly got to make most of the movies that he wanted to make the way he wanted to make them with the exception of maybe cop out. Um, (laughs) And I don't know, there was just this moment where he was sitting there and he said, you know, I don't know what it is that you want to do, but whatever it is, you can do it. And he's like, you know, you might be sitting there thinking that you're a director, but then you're like, well, I'm not really a director because I haven't made movies. But if you sit and you watch all the credits of a film, 
all the way through without waiting for a Marvel scene to be at the end of it. Like you're already a director. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, damn, <laughs> I, okay. He's right. I'm a director. This is what we're doing now. Like, <laughs> you know, like, and it's just funny because I don't know. I think a lot of times people have this tendency to look at Kevin Smith and, you know, do the same thing that I did. Just expect a laugh. Um, but I do think he's a very big hearted, very inspirational and, and genuine person. And, and that's pretty rare nowadays. And I think there is that thumbprint or fingerprint, whatever you want to call it, on all of the movies that he's made. You right. know? And, I, and I think that's another reason that a lot of people connect with his films and thus by proxy him. And I don't know that there are a lot of other filmmakers, no matter what quote unquote level they're at, that can say that they connect with an audience to the same heartfelt degree that Kevin Smith does through all of his work. I I, I have to agree. I have to agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, All right, Richard, those are the four films that make up our taste, our impact uh whatever however you wanted to find it It, it's just four films that really struck something with us so uh i think that's i think those are good lists i do too i'm (laughs) I'm very proud of us for actually being able to come up with four and narrow it down to that because there are so many wonderful powerful amazing movies that are going to connect with people for reasons known and unknown and i think that's pretty credible that is absolutely true (laughs) uh but we ultimately want to hear your four films too listener so if you want to talk to me tell me about those four films for you it's uh you can find me on twitter as at mitchipedia g-e-r uh richard's also on twitter as at ray cohen r-i-c-o-w-n the rest of geek elite radio is at geek elite radio on twitter at geek elite radio on instagram facebook.com forward slash geek elite radio is our facebook page and geek elite radio.com is our website check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the geekly radio network also make sure to check out richard on his twitch streaming channel because he is almost always there (laughs) playing video (laughs) games connecting with his audience and uh you know really interacting with the the people that come there to to be part of a community yeah, it's uh, twitch.tv slash Rykoen1, R-I-C-O-W-N, and the number one. Unfortunately, it has the one at the end of it because I opened up the Rykoen account forever ago, and I don't remember what the password <laughs> was when I started streaming it, and I can't get into it. I can't recover it. So um, maybe one day Twitch will cancel out inactive accounts, and I'll be able to reclaim my proper name. But maybe. until then, there there is a number one behind it. Yeah. <laughs> You should also go on Twitch.tv and uh, follow Geek Elite Radio. Geek Elite Radio also does some uh, streaming on Twitch, and that's another way to be a part of the community and interact with the Geek Elite Radio community. It's a wonderful time over there. That's right. Uh, we also have a Spotify channel, and we are on iTunes and Google Play Music. So make sure to you know, subscribe and uh, leave a comment on any one of those places or any place that you get your po- your podcast listening from. So. Uh, but until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich show on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying, always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.